They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Okay, 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 everybody. So, this is Chris Chipman, the Chippa, from the Chippa Made This. Um, you're obviously about to hear an episode of Shooting the Shit. I don't normally do um, editor's notes unless absolutely necessary, but I wanted to share something weird that happened to you after recording this episode with Stephen Cognetti. Now, if you don't know who that is, he's the writer and director of Hell House LLC, the trilogy of films you can find on Shudder, Amazon. I think you can actually buy them on DVD. Um, But anyway, um, they're really creepy movies, found footage films. I like them a lot. Anyhow, when I logged into Skype to download the recording to edit it all together, I noticed that the Skype name, it was a name that said A. Tully 666. I thought that was strange, but figured maybe Steven adopted a new name that was more on brand after he had made fun of his Skype handle being just his initials during the recording, you know? Um, but for those of you that have seen the Hell House films, Andrew Tully is the um, guy that owned the original hotel that tried to open a gate to hell, so still a little creepy after uh, watching these films and recording with Steven. But anyway, when I clicked to download the recording, the following message came in on Skype. It said, let them see, let them listen. We are all dead here. And we're all dead here is some of the lines like the news broadcasts would get when they were interviewing people that may or may not have survived the Hull House thing. So again, kind of creepy, but you know, I don't know. So sorry to get a little creeped out. I downloaded the file and started editing. Everything sounded fine in the recording and the episode edited together nice. And after this little intro, you're about to hear it. But I clicked save and got ready to shut down the computer after having it edited together. And another Skype message came through. And again, it said, let them see, let them listen. And this time with a PDF of Faust attached. Now I was genuinely creeped out, though, you know, maybe Steven was still messing with me or somebody. Um, I contacted Skype, Sprint, and my internet provider, and they all said they would try to trace the origin of the message. I also sent Steven a message off Skype just in case he had been hacked or something. Then I went to bed. That night I dreamt I was trapped in the Abaddon Hotel. Um, the place, the the fictional place from the Hell House trilogy. And Andrew Tully was there, and he just kept saying, let them see, let them listen, over and over and over again. When I awoke, I had a missed call stating that they were able to track down where the Skype message was coming from, but the message kind of went and said it came from the Abaddon Hotel, which is strange because this is a fictional place. Now, there's a real haunted house they filmed these movies at, but the Abaddon Hotel isn't real, Um, I called to confirm and they said, yeah, there's stuff traces to a place that's logged under the name, the Abaddon hotel. Um, which is really, really, really strange. So I went back to check Skype and the message was back to having Steven's name attached to it. No sign of a Tully 666, no sign of the other messages or the PDF of Faust. I even, um, had tried to download the PDF and the folder I put it in was gone. So maybe I dreamt this all. Maybe this is just, you know, or something in my head, um, making me get creeped out or or whatever, but still a little weird. Steven eventually responded to me, agreeing that it was creepy, but said a large contingent of his fans believe that the films are real and some take it a little bit too far. So that's probably just what it was. Maybe someone had hacked into his Skype and changed his name to mess with me. Um, he changed his Skype password, etc., just in case he had been hacked. Needless to say, I'm incredibly shaken by all of this, but the show must go on. So I ask you, brave listener, and I encourage you, to watch Hell House 1 to 3 on the streaming app of your choice, Shutter, purchase a physical copy, find it on Amazon. Then listen to my interview with Stephen Cognetti, because it's very spoiler-filled. You're going to want to have seen these films. But maybe you can catch something I missed 
um, in our recording or in the movies as to whether the Abaddon Hotel, the fictional place from these films, somehow contacted me after recording of this podcast with its film's director. Still incredibly creeped out. Maybe you guys can help me piece it together. Either way, um, I hope you listen and enjoy because Steven's a pretty awesome guy. Um, There it is. Cheers. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa, one of four podcasts where I talk to random people on the Internet. Um, I'll get into today's guest soon. Uh, I just wanted to do a little quick introduction, as always. Um, my $15 or more a month patrons, Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, QK Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, and Mark Price. Thank you guys so much for being able to make it so I can keep doing this stuff. And for my newest patrons, Jeremy, Seth Decker, and Trayvon Mack, thank you guys so much. Um, This week's episode, as a lot of my episodes are, are brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast. Each week, hosts Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline. Talking everything from comics, salon, forgotten movies, and TVs. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the Geeks with Shields podcast for all your nerdy needs. And with that, I talk to a lot of people that want to make movies or have made little 15-minute long movies with me before. But today's guest made three movies that you can actually go and watch somewhere. Um, on Shutter, actually, to be exact, and there are three movies that I really dug, um, in particular the the first one, which just dragged me right in. But with that, um, the writer and director of Hell House LLC, sir, introduce yourself to the internet again. Hello, I am Stephen Cognetti, and uh, I guilty pleasure. I love shooting the shit, so excited to be here. Yeah, so I, I picked the right show to put you on, then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> So, Steve, where, where, where are you from? What got you into filmmaking, buddy? Um, so, I, uh, I'm originally from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, made a Hell House while I was working uh, as a, just a production assistant at a, um, at a, at a bigger uh, corporate company in New York City. So, I was living and working in New York City uh, and was writing Hell House. Um, I would get up at like 5 in the morning and write a few pages, get on the subway, go to work come home, go to bed, get up at five, write a few pages, same, like doing that daily for a couple of years until I got the script right. And then just uh, uh, picked a date and, uh, uh, you know, we just start casting and just start throwing the all the stuff together, you know, getting the crew together, getting the actors, trying to find the right actors. And that was, uh, that was a, the, obviously we knew that the cast was going to be an important part. So we spent a lot of time doing that and then just asked my boss said hey i want to take uh, about two weeks off and she's uh you know it's when you find a good boss it's when you know when they say like hey absolutely go shoot your film take take as much time as you need and that was that, that helped a lot so that's awesome and for, for yeah. people that are just just tuning in um if you haven't seen Hell House LLC, go ahead and watch it. There's three of them. They're they're great. They're found footage movies. Don't be scared. They're the good kind. That's what I like to tell people. Some people are like, oh, found no, footage. Black. You, get, uh, it's, you, you always get an eye roll these days with found footage because it, it is a very saturated genre. Um, most of the, you know, obviously we always, we know why it's a saturated genre because it's, it's you you can shoot it for $5,000 or or for, you know, I guess uh, $100,000 or even a few million. I guess, uh, I don't, I think the, the, the latter Blair Witch and the um, 
the paranormals were probably up there in the hundreds of thousands or millions. Um, but right. uh, but you could shoot it for as cheap as you know a thousand dollars if you if you really wanted to. So uh, so that's why it gets very oversaturated. And you know today's digital age, it's easy to get films onto uh, Amazon, iTunes, and everything like that. So there's a lot to sift through, and then the the genre, the genre it's a subgenre gets oversaturated. So <laughs> there's a lot of you know, a lot of a lot of uh, good ones, a lot of great ones. There's a lot of uh, bad ones, um, but uh, yeah. So I, it's tough to when you say like it's a found footage film. You know, you gotta you gotta tell people that, and they you know just, they gotta get past it. So. Well, right, and you know, just to give people an idea, if, if you haven't gone and seen it, the really clever hook that I liked about this one is that you have a and I, and I wanted you to get into like what the inspiration for this was, but it's it's a movie about a malfunction at a haunted house, so you get like people's you know facebook live videos and their cell phone cameras of what happened so you get like the the build-up of okay something happened we don't know what it is then you get a crew that goes back there to film a documentary about it mm-hmm. and more crazy stuff starts happening so you kind of get you get the found footage approach from a bunch of different sources so it's not just following one guy with a camera and yep. then it becomes unbelievable because of that it's a, oh no it's a movie about an investigation so it it falls more into like the Lake Mungo or um, even like um, uh, what was that movie with John Cho um, where the whole thing is happening on his computer screen in front of him. Yeah, I know. Um, but I, I forget. I loved that movie and I just kept searching. I think it has more it has more in line with that than like a quarantine or a Blair Witch Project. And so. What I absolutely loved for, a, a, and again, I love horror movies, so maybe I'm an easy sell on this anyway, but I particularly love like um, the local haunted house style um, found footage movies and, and horror movies in general, like the genre of movie that Rob Zombie kind of makes like real movies out of. Um, I loved um, the houses that October built. For that same reason, like using real haunted houses as your main scare tactic. So the mm-hmm. fact that you filmed in a real operating haunted house is really cool to me because it adds that, okay, everything I'm seeing in this is artificial. So when the artificial starts becoming something moving, you have that, okay, I've really been in these hallways. I've really seen something like this. Could there have been something lurking in the real haunted house that I went to? It hits a very um, deep like need to be scared or need to be afraid yeah. that um you can just have a shot down a hallway with a creepy clown standing at the end not moving and it's it, it it cut me to my core and I wanted to know was was your idea when you were writing it did you already have like the haunted house in mind like what 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 kind of inspired all that yeah it was always about about to about a haunted of people that put on a haunted house so for the earliest versions of the script. It was shot more narratively, not found footage, and then, but I wasn't liking the early narrative versions of the script, and I kind of felt like, I, and then I knew I'm like, well, I'm not going to have the budget to shoot a narrative, so let's, so I just scrapped everything. I said, let's go back to basics. What kind of fun? Like, what do I want to tell? What kind of, what would I consider fun? And I went, and I, I, I honestly, I, I, I always take a, a credit Lake Mungo as such a great inspiration as shooting a documentary. So, so don't consider it a found footage film. Consider it a documentary finished documentary um, with a subject as paranormal in, in nature though but so it makes it a little different from just like a found footage like discovering raw footage and blending a play out like Blair Witch we don't know where the footage came from how we're seeing the footage 
uh, how it's put together for us. It's just presented to us. Where we, something like Lake Mungo is an edited documentary. And so I love those murder mysteries, like Dateline mysteries and all. So I love watching those. So I'm like, what if we had a situation like that, like a Dateline mystery? But instead of like a murder mystery, it was something paranormal, an unexplained event that had a paranormal aspect to it. And we just spend the whole movie investigating that through interviews with eyewitnesses and, and, and footage recovered from the, from the place that did lend more clues into what might have happened. And then I approached the script that way and, and evolved from there. But um, so the, this, you know, everything, so everything that was scripted, everything, and it, it was always supposed to be subtlety. It was, there was always supposed to be scares were subtle in the background things, not never anything chasing you, no jump scares. I'm not, I'm not really a big fan of like uh, those, like pop, you know, something popping out at the right time with the music raising at the right time and trying to get you that way. It's just subtle things in the background always trying to get you. So um, one of the, the uh, scares that survived from the very first outline of uh, the script to the very last draft of the script over like a, over a year process was, um, the clown at the bottom of the stairs in the middle of the night. That was one of the things where I knew it was just going to be creepy where something like that, that didn't move a mannequin of a clown, uh, an inanimate object was, was someplace it wasn't supposed to be. Just the idea of that alone is scary. And then they have to, they have to find out in the middle of the night, how did it get there? And then they have to slowly approach it to try to move it back. I always knew that that was going to be an unsettling thing. Then I wanted all, all the scares to kind of follow that kind of rhythm. Um, and tone. So it, and so that's how we wrote uh, every. That's how I wrote everything from there. And the tone for the film was all about subtlety and nothing big. And and it, it worked like gangbusters. It's it's kind of the um, the Shining approach, right? You, you you take a script or you take a book like The Shining, yeah, and break it down into the, the scariest parts. Because I I love Stephen King, but when you read a detailed description of a ghost. The, the way that that movie kind of pulled back and made it be more about the place, just things that are out of place, the emptiness of it all. Um, I felt that there was a lot of that same level of unnerving going on here that just like, I mean, you know, these people are, are camping out at night filming in a hotel that is a haunted house. Yep. But so that clown is there. That's a prop that's somewhere in here. The minute it's not where you think it is, it's the scariest goddamn thing in the world. Even though it's just there, the movie's already established it's there. You know? Yeah. And I, I, I love that. I, I also love um, things that happen in the background. There's there's a scare, I believe this is in the first movie, where the guy's going to bed and has the camera running and you see the girl walk in the door in the background. Yeah, that was one of the earlier... Um, you know, I divide everything in between A and B scares and uh, yep. the things that we have early in, in Act 1 and sometimes in Act 2 are, are B scares that are just kind of building us up to get to our A scares. And and um, that was just one of the early things. And we don't know who that was walking in and behind him while he's doing that. And obviously doing that confession was bad is, is a setup for uh, something bigger later on. Yep. Uh, but, uh, but we started off subtly with like same little things going on that no one really takes too much notice of, but like they, they noticed something was off, but that was weird, but no, nothing much is going to cause them to run out of the house and never do, never come back again. And so you, you have to find a way to kind of explain it away. And the character thinks it's so one of the, the, the other girls in their group that's just sleepwalking and that could be a possibility. And he looks at the camera and says, that was weird. Um, so you just have those little moments of things happening in the first act. Uh, and then when we get to into act two, we start, you know, building momentum and getting the things start getting a little scarier. 
Yeah, it's and so the first movie was was a 2015 release, and so did you have any aspirations for there to be more of this thing when you were writing it down? Like, did the did the other two movies come out of ideas that didn't make it into one, or was it yeah. one you got you got put down on the yeah? No, ahead, sorry, exactly, no, no, yeah, no, you're right. Sorry, that's exactly what it what what it was. Is when I wrote the the outline in the first draft of the script, it was more. It wasn't a found footage film; it was a narrative film, and there's a lot more history behind the hotel and um, into the town. And then when I realized that it's not going to be a narrative film, we're going to go the the, the found footage, uh, you know, mockumentary kind of uh, route. We had to cut a lot of that story out because you can't, you know, you can't really tell a lot of backstory when you're doing found footage. It has to be, uh, you know, I can only do some exposition through some of the interviews, but there's going to be, a, and I can tell a little bit about the town of Abaddon, the history of the hotel through these interviews, but. I lost a lot of the backstory um, to Hell House, to the Abaddon Hotel, and to Abaddon itself. And so uh, then I just gave subtle clues in to throughout the acts of the film. And I always said, like, and I was jokingly said, like, well, I'll, I'll tell this full story when I, you know, when I make the sequels, never thinking I was ever going to make sequels. But um, but then when we, we realized that we probably could make uh, finish the story, uh, then I started fleshing out those story bits that I just put in as a little Easter eggs uh, throughout the dialogue of the, of the first movie and started fleshing the story out more and then wrote two and three right together. Um, I was going to say two and three had to have been written together because they they both do incredible job of calling back to things like you said in the first one. But I, I, I wanted to ask you because it's like watching the third one, I'm like, wow, this movie injects itself. Like it, it almost feels like watching the second and the third one. And again, this is not to like, Put, put your movie on some crazy Peter Jackson level pedestal um, be, because they're, they're small and I love them, but it reminds me of like the two towers in return of the King, right? You get like two movies and you go, they really can't fully exist without both. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I said to a, and I said to a friend who watched the second one and before the third one came out and he was like, he said, I was left wanting. And I go, you got to watch the third one. Even if you don't end up liking it, even though I really liked them, the third one kind of it really sticks the landing um, with the the um, the actor who you hired, who was the the the, the original innkeeper. Um, what was his name? Um, the uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Who comes back and has his big monologue in front of the camera at the table? Um, yeah, who's yeah. The guy on the yeah, what's Andrew, his name? Uh, Andrew Tully. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, who and what was the actor's name? He was amazing. Yeah, um, his name is uh, Brian. Um, very uh, just a uh, like these these the uh, the casting process of, of this whole film is uh, was crazy to say the least. Uh, we went because you know we don't have a casting department. It's me and a uh, few other people that are just seeing actors like all day uh, all day long, and it's and then for for multiple days, just trying to winnow through like hundreds of people. And uh, so that so to find someone like Brian Tracy was like, uh, uh, you know, for us, you know, it, it, it just doing this, uh, you know, we rented out a little studio in New York City and, and just brought an actor in after actor after actor. And and some people, you know, they can't make it to the to the live audition. So we, uh, you know, we got to do uh, Skype auditions and try. It's just it's a it's a needle in the haystack uh, trying to find actors. And then uh, and, and Brian just uh, he just nailed it. And uh uh, it was just fun to work with him. He, he, he enjoyed the part so much. I remember we were just corresponding through email uh, leading up to the shoot, and uh, he would uh, send me an email, just questions about certain things, and you know, I'd always be answering. And he, he'd always end the email with like some like really weird sentence. And 
And I didn't know what he, I'm like, that's just a weird thing to say. And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? And then it took me a while to realize I'm like, oh, he's quoting Andrew Tully from the movie. <laughs> he's like, he's just quoting his, the script. And I'm like, I didn't even realize he was even quoting the script that I had written, but he was always just so into it. He was always quoting the script back to me in emails. And uh, it was just fun. And so it's just great to have actors like that, people that are so invested in her and love their character and love being a part of it, so. Yeah, I know. He's, I mean, the, the cast in all three were, were great. He just struck me when I saw him on the news broadcast in the second one. And I go, all right, there's something going on here with this guy. And my brain, you know, seeing so many movies like this, it's like it should have been obvious to me this guy was going to end up being something from the hotel. But the fact that it's like that full circle reveal that, oh, no, no, it, it's Tully and he's just drawing more people in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Um and, and again, it's it, it's hard, right? You know, to to stick a narrative landing, and you know, in found footage, having a narrative is even harder. And I I give you a lot of credit for two and three for for taking those chances, like being that ambitious with it, especially when it's just something you pepper through the first movie to kind of to, to make it scary, right? But you end up yeah, creating I, an, a mythos. And we, and, you know, and we, and we, uh, and I fully admit we made some mistakes along the way, and you know when. We, when I knew that I was going to shoot two and then three, um, I, I definitely uh, rushed things along a lot quicker because I wrote out the scripts and I, I didn't actually write two and three at the same time. I wrote two, the script of two, and then I wrote the story for three. And then I said, I'll, come, I'll finish the script for three um, right after two. But I, I knew I already knew how it was going to end. I knew how three and everything was going to end, and I brought it all together. Um, and but uh, I was kind of like, uh, when you're in the indie world, like I can't. Yeah, I just felt like I, I couldn't wait. I could. I didn't really have much of a budget, but I had to get the second one out there quick, or um, or I might not be able to do it at all. And in hindsight, I, I definitely should have waited. I think we rushed the production a little bit, and I think that that hurt too a little bit. Um, and uh, so, that, I mean, that's all on my my end. Uh, everyone did a great job, actors and crew. Uh, I, I wish we had more time to shoot some of the scenes and everything like that. So, and there's it's a lot of uh, in these sets of like growing pains, you know. And then when we got to three, that's where uh, you know we took our time with that. Uh, we uh, we had a probably uh, we had our best budget of all of them. Um, one and two were shot for the same thing, and then three was a little bit more than all of them, um, which is still not much at all. But uh, you know, we had a big cast on three. We had there's a lot of moving parts on three, so we really had to give it its time. And, and we and that's a it's, it, we planned out the production so very well, and every, everything executed very. I was really happy with that. Um, uh, so it, it's just uh, yeah, there's some things I wish I can go back and redo, but we we didn't. But you know, we we got the job done. I'm just happy we got the films done and. Uh, I'm just happy people are watching them and enjoying them. So, well, of course, and that's you know that that bleeds through, right? Um, I've I made a couple of tiny independent films with with friends of mine, and yours has the feeling of a this is a movie made by people that you know are 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 just getting it done. You know what I mean? And and I don't mean that it is a quality thing. It's just you can you can see the moving parts, and I I like that about found footage number one, yeah. and number two, it's knowing that going in it's like I'm, I'm rooting for the movies like and that's why after number two it's like okay there's a whole lot of setup in this movie and then i get to number three and i'm like wow this is ambitious like it, it's <laughs> one, one two and three tonally feel very different from one another like you'd expect there you know you didn't go and redo the same movie three times 
even though it's the same yeah. location. That was actually the challenge is like, cause the story is there. So once I, I, I wrote out the story for two and three together and I knew how everything was going to go and how to end. And I knew some of the scares. So, you know, some of those A scares that come to you, like while you're writing, you're like, I know that scare is going to happen. I know that. So, like, for instance, like I was, I knew the clown in, in one. I knew the clown in one, like walking down the stairs, the girl behind Paul in one. Those are scares I was, like, I always knew from the get go were going to be part of the film as we're fleshing out the script. And, um, and, and three, I would say it's, uh, the, the, the big one was, uh, the, the clown in the basement where she tapes herself going down. She takes the dare to go down to the basement while she's taping herself, um, right. coming to me. And then, but, but the biggest, like the biggest challenge when you're going to shoot three, uh, horror films in the same exact location, coming up with new ways to scare it is tough. Um, the story aside, the scares within that location, you got to find, so the, so it is a challenge to, while we're not really leaving the Abaddon too much, or stay, our story's staying there, then we gotta make sure that the films do have, you know, you're not just doing the same film one, two, and three, uh, just a three, you know, over again three times. They have to have a little difference to them, and uh, I guess in their perspective of who who's doing the shooting and uh, the story, and uh, obviously the characters are different too. But uh, you know, you try as best we can to make sure that the scares are a little independent of each other as well. Right. No, exactly. And that you, you imagine. So that's a really, really hard balancing act. And I, um, I like the idea of your first movie is being put together by an actual, you know, documentary film crew, but then the sequels, you know, it's a, well, this tape got delivered some, you know, the, this rich guy was cutting this stuff together. And it's, so it's like your narrator or your narrative ends up being put together by a person who's less and less trustable. Mm -hmm. trustworthy yeah and and i like that that comes through in the way the movies are put together where it's like oh okay there's there's some um propaganda going on here you know what i mean as you as you dig into it a little further and it's it, it's really interesting that 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 comes through um i wanted to reverse back to number one for a minute the amount of fear you get out of people preparing to go to the basement is is incredible because you get the the, the footage in, in movie number one of like people on their cell phones everyone's running out it yeah. happened it happened in the basement don't go in the basement everybody's dying and they run out but you don't ever see I don't think it maybe till movie two or three what really went down in the basement and even then it's it's you know it's kind of left to okay yeah it, it's it's obvious thematically what's happening here but it's it's really cool how like, you know, do you really want to go down there? Like that's and like just the waiting, it kind of has like a jaws kind of thing, like approaching doom. Right, not sure the shark. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, and that's, that's on purpose because it's, you set up you, like the whole point of the film is to set up a mystery of like, well, what happened? And you do that. And then if you do that in the opening of the film, I, the, the, my whole thing was like hoping just to engage the audience with setting up a mystery of what happened. We're giving just little glimpses and then, you know, and then, you know, hoping they stay, stay along for the rest of the movie while we try to figure out that question of what happened in that hotel that on opening night. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was the whole purpose is just giving a little little bit, not showing anything, just setting up that mystery and just hoping people, uh, you know, keep on watching to, uh, as we try to figure out what what did happen through the documentary uh, format. Now, the the idea to go um, with performance art. Um, the live stage show for for movie number three, and it being what it was insomnia, which was based on 
Oh boy, my brain's shutting down. Is which thing with heaven and hell that that was based on? Oh, um, it's Faust. Yeah, Faust. There you go. Was that um was that part of like the the narrative end game you had in your head from the beginning, or was that a oh this would be cool if we did this for for number three? No, I did. Uh, so uh, what I had from the beginning was that it was going to be a big spectacle, uh, like Hell House, like uh, like a, there was going to be a big show in the hotel that was going to culminate into everything at the end. I just didn't know what that show was going to be. I just knew it was going to be a show. And, um, and I, as I began to write out two and three and I, and it really, I was trying to get those themes out there, heaven and hell and, uh, uh, you know, the forces of life versus good demons and angels. Um, that was really coming through in the story. And then, so I just thought the perfect mirror to that the performance would, would be, um, would be Faust, uh, you know, and, so, and, and Faust being this conflicted character, um, being tempted by the devil, and it had it just it had everything um, that I had already been the themes I had already been exploring when it came to Russell Wynn and, and Andrew Tolley and Alex Taylor too, um, the protagonist in one, and so so that and so the performance piece was going to be Faust, and that's actually based on um, an actual live interactive show uh, that's called Sleep No More. Uh, have you ever heard of that? Yes, I have actually. Uh, I'm, um, yeah, so that's a. Uh, uh, Sleep No More is uh, in New York City, and it's interactive. It's uh, Macbeth. It's um, uh, it's it's you know it's very it's, it's beautiful. If you, you ever take the, the 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 tour, it's not a tour. It's it's actually it's a play. If you go to the you buy a ticket to go to the play. It's it's this huge um, old warehouse like with like four or five floors that all of them are these really intricate, beautifully designed sets and these creepy colors. And so you you feel like you're in a cemetery you're in a you're in a closed set but you actually feel like you're outside in a cemetery and a few of them like um it, it, they just do such an amazing job um and so interactive theater was something i wanted to do and because it's you know it's not a it's not a haunted house we want we want to do something different than that so i definitely went the way of of, uh, of interactive theater and i was definitely inspired by sleep no more sets they they uh they did such a they did such a great job their lighting is amazing and i wanted to uh to kind of go in that direction of have, trying to dress the Abaddon up um, with uh, in that kind of way uh, for for the performance of, of Faust, and so we were making some sets that were you know from the movie from the from the from the play itself uh, from from Faust and mm -hmm. the so uh, but yeah that's uh, it was it was so it was like a mix there was a little bit of uh, 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 it, we we knew that the the final end game of Hell House was going to be this big performance piece put on by Russell Wynn. Uh, when uh, early on, I just didn't. It, it took me time to write it out and flesh it out to make it that it was going to be a performance piece, an uh, interactive play of Faust. I can't, I can't really hear you too well. Your mic's cut now. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you, oh, can you, you hear me now? now? Yeah, now I can hear you. I don't know what just happened there. Sorry about that. Um, so it, it gives your protagonists a, a different intention in all three movies. So they're like a different group of people. Like you've got the, you know... Um, one of the movies is, you know, one, one of the guys, their, their company is out of money. Right. So it's like, and you learn that as you go along. And then with the Faust thing is you get kind of more, okay, this seems just like a group of like hipster art kids, 
you know, and it, and so it, it kind of approaches the same stuff from a very different lens. Yeah. And, exactly. I wanted to make and I really like that. Russell very similar, but very different. So there, there are two people um, who came from completely different backgrounds. So Russell is this millionaire, uh, you know, he, he owns this amazing show in Manhattan that's doing really well. He does it. He, and he winds up doing a show at the Abaddon and Alex completely different. He comes from low budget doing, um, uh, putting on a haunted house in Queens, uh, can't, you know, can barely afford the rent there leaves. He ends up at the Abaddon. They both ended up at the Abaddon. They came from different directions and they came from different means and, and uh, from, but they're, they're, but they're similar in the same way in that respect. So. Yeah. It, it, it's awesome. So all three films, were they all entirely filmed inside that, in yeah. that place where the haunted house is? That's, that's crazy. Yeah, so that, what was, fil- what was filming like on all three? Like what, what was like the time, the times of day you had to do it and all that? What was that yeah. like? We were able to keep like a, a, a schedule of like normal, pretty much everything during the day, um, unless we were doing exteriors at night. Like the original had the um, the big uh, scene with the extras outside and the and the you know the ambulances and the fire trucks. That was a very complicated sequence uh, for our first film. Uh, that so that had to be shot through the night. That took a long time and coordinating with all the extras and all the uh, other pieces of that. But mostly we were able to keep it basically, you know, um, you know. Daytime schedule, not having to do any kind of crazy nights or anything like that. Because in, when you're in the Abaddon, you're in the uh, in that hotel, you can shoot you can shoot nighttime anytime because there's very few windows, anyways, that you can just close them up. So, um, but it was, it's very claustrophobic. It's really hard to find your way around there. So it, it took me a long time to know where I was in the hotel and know how to get to where I needed to be. Um, and so everyone's got microphones you'd, and you'd hear people saying their microphones like, I don't know where I am. <laughs> so every you hear oh, like, Jesus. Well, people get lost all the time, which is great. It was great for our actors kind of just throw them in there and, and they don't really know their way around. And, and, and that helped them to, to play that role of we're just exploring, you know, finding this for the first time ourselves. So, you know, we, we, I didn't let them in the hotel until we start shooting when they came. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, so I mean, like that very the very first scene we shot was them driving to the hotel. The very the next scene we shot was them entering the hotel, that was, and they had never been in there before. That uh, we kept that very straight like that, just for, to help them out to be in that character, not knowing what room. And I had told them, I said, you can go when you walk into that front door. It's up to you where you want to go, and I, I we'll just let that play out and see how that works. If you decide as a group to go into room X, Y, Z, we'll see how this goes. And so for those first few takes uh, they of them entering, it was all them really just exploring the, the hotel for the first time themselves. And uh, it's a great place to shoot because of that. It's, 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 it's creepy. <laughs> it's really creepy. Well, right. And, and that's a functioning haunted house or was at the time you were filming, right? Yes. And still, yeah, still is. It's a great uh, place to go. Uh, I, I see a lot of uh, fans do make it out to the, uh, to their attraction they have every October. Um, cause they, they keep a lot of the uh, sets the same way from the movie. So you can go out there and you can see all the places, all the, the areas, you know, that we shot in the movie, the clowns there. Uh, it's a great haunt to, to, if, if anyone's in, um, in the, uh, I guess it's, uh, it's, it's outside of Philadelphia. It's by, um, it's by a town called, uh, Allentown. It's in Lehigh, Pennsylvania. So it's in that area. It's like, uh, Pennsylvania, um, Southeastern, Central Eastern Pennsylvania, um, area and if anyone's in there, it's just a great trip for uh, October because it's it's a great haunt and it's also they also have like a, uh, a haunted hayride too, so you can do the whole thing. 
it's it's just a, a my wife and I we went we went down there a couple times in, during the season. It's just a it's just a fun October thing to do. Uh, and if, you know if you're a fan of the films, it's just great to to just to see inside that hotel and what it looks like. It's just it's creepy and it's it's a lot of fun. I'm just glad we found that location because it's awesome. So did you find that location after the script existed? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that I mean. Uh, it, there's a lot of pieces that have to come together. As you know, you, you know, you've made films. It's you've got to do, uh, especially on the indie level. There's those putting together the pieces to make a film is tough, and and one of them is location. So you write this film, and you're like, okay, now where am I going to shoot a haunted house? And and um, there's a picture. Um, uh, I, I have it uh, pinned uh, to my Twitter um, of the, uh, the, the of an original abandoned house in Rockland County that was like one of the earliest inspirations for this film, where I first got the idea. Of, um, of, uh, of a group of haunt makers leaving New York City and going out to the Rockland County area. And, um, and I took his pictures. It was really a, a really cool uh, abandoned house. And so I was, I was thinking it, at first the actors were gonna take over an abandoned house and turn that into a haunted house. And, and a- after I wrote the script, um, I knew a house wasn't gonna play out because finding an abandoned house, A, and then B, finding an abandoned house like you know structurally sound enough to bring actors into, and, and you know, make sure the power. Is, so I just threw that 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 whole plan out, and I said, like, let's look at functioning haunted houses, things that are already set up to do what we need. So like, um, we wouldn't have to light for a haunted house if they're already set to do that. So the next test was finding a haunted house, but then after finding a haunted house, a haunted house that really looks like beat up enough to look like it's been abandoned for years. So nothing like new and shiny. It would have to have that look. And um, uh, the Waldorf Estate of Fear. That's what it's called. Um, Waldorf State of Fear, like when I just looked it up online, I said, oh, this looks promising. It has like a really uh, corroded outside interior uh, and it is an old hotel, which which fits in the storyline a lot better. And then so I, I called up the owner and she was like, great. Yeah, come on down. We'll meet. I'll give you the tour. And uh, it was just it, walking through the hotel. I was like, oh, this is amazing. I can shoot this scene here, this scene there, this scene there is perfect. And, you know, we, we just made a deal from there. That's awesome. And yeah. that, that's so cool too that it stayed a functioning haunt. Like, yeah. what, what a perfect cross promotion. Yeah, it's only two hours out, outside of New York City. So that was helpful too because I was worried like I was going to find some place and it was going to be like we had to take flights because um, all the crew and the actors were all New York based. And so, uh, you know, we were just going to, you know, so this made us, we could just like rent a couple of vans, pile everyone to the vans and drive two hours out to uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, that helped so much. And it, it, it was just a lot easier uh, on production than not, uh, you know, coordinating everything if, if it wasn't so far outside of the city. It was only two hours. So, Right. The, the location, I mean, it, it's why the, it's not the, it's one of the key reasons that the movie is as um, effective as it is, right? Is that that location is just perfect? It's iconic, right? You get you get ten minutes into the movie and you're just like, wow, okay, because <laughs> it feels real. And and doing it in a real haunt, like it helps that. It's like all of the scares in the movie feel like they're happening to these people. Exactly. And, and you that's need that authenticity, or it's not going to sell. So you need to really feel like the environment that we're selling is is the actual environment that it that it is. And so I kind of and I'm, so that's why I'm really happy location wise. I mean, it's so so important to make sure you nail locations. And and on this one, we did. We found the perfect location for what fit our story. So and I don't know. I don't know if this is intentional, um, or if it's just something I caught because I I look. But um, one of my favorite 
um, scares that the movie makes you wait for is it's either in movie two or three where the guy meets the girl and she says, I want to, you know, tell you my story and, oh yeah, I'm going to go, you know, meet her back in her hotel room. And she says the hotel room number. And I'm like the camera panned by that number in the Abaddon. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh shit. And so I'm waiting because the movie makes you wait. And I'm like, when is someone else going to realize this guy just walked into his death? Like, when are they going to realize it? Um, and it was, it's such a good one. And, um, it's it's the inventiveness of it. I just, I really dig it. Cool. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, uh, you're talking, are you talking about room two C and where she tells them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's cool. I, I love when people say that they like that 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 setup because um, some people I, I, I read some reviews didn't like the ending of one because they uh, but uh, I I I enjoyed the, the the documentary came full circle around to the uh, to the side of Hell House side and they they kind of met um, at the end there where she says I'm in room two C come and find me there and then you realize she meant two C at the Abaddon Hotel not where they were doing the interviews and yeah I thought I thought that was really cool I mean you know obviously like you you know you say it yourself you, when you make a movie especially a small movie you know you're you're fully invested in it so you know the bumps and bruises and warts better than anybody else and mm-hmm. you know yeah I I'm I appreciate as a film viewer film reviewer movie guy that i there's very few films that i have a bad experience with while i'm watching even if they're bad movies and these these are far from from bad movies it's just you can that ambition comes through it's like movie number two and movie number three are ambitious movies and when you're doing them with a, a small budget and a small thing. I appreciate when a movie can jump outside its comfort zone like that um, and, and try something. There, there's a there's two, and I can't remember the names of them, but they're like paranormal activity ripoff kind of movies that take place in an asylum. And they were on Netflix a few years back. Okay. And a thing that I found really clever is that in the sequel, they decided to make the guys that directed the first movie characters and that they were just two idiots that, that were just two interns that worked for the villain, you know, and never actually made a movie before. So your first movie was like fake. And it's like, I love things like that where people go, yeah, we're just going to completely like lift this out from under you. And, um, and I like that about yours that you were able to do things that were so different, but inject a, Oh, but this character was lurking in the background the whole time, or this conversation happening. You just didn't realize it. Or the, the way the protagonist of movie number one was acting was because of this, you know, and it's like, I, I love when, when sequels actually do try to add something to their mythos and not just rehash, um, what worked and why people liked the first one. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I like, uh, I like writing a story that has, um, uh, you know, there's, it has a deeper story to it that you don't really, you won't get all the answers to it. Um, but there is some mystery there. There's other things going on that could be explored further, but we're in our, we're staying with our A story. So just, um, uh, just having a little bit more depth, um, that not, even if it's not fully explored, you know, that there's something under, under the surface there, there's some more going on under the surface. Uh, so then, and then, so I'm, I'm happy I did that. And with, uh, writing Hell House one kept a lot of the story elements that I lost when I switched to found footage, but, um, but kept like little breadcrumbs of those story elements, um, in in the in the you know I, at the time it was a, a distant hope that I would ever be able to explore those breadcrumbs. But I, I was able. I'm very happy I was able to flesh out all the storylines that I wanted to, and in, into the next two uh, movies uh, and bring things around full circle. And um, you know, and so that was that's it was just a 
very happy that I was able to do that. So that's awesome. Now, outside of um, outside of spoiler alerts, um, returning characters that show up throughout the the sequels. Um, was there anyone in casting the the second two movies that you found were, were fans of the original before uh, before they signed up? Um, I don't know if anyone was a fan before. I know that um, uh, and when I put out casting calls, I think everybody you know Googled the, the original and 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 then came back. And I had a lot of enthusiastic actors that were applying to. They was like, "Oh, loved Hell House." I think they, I think they watched it when they when they saw the casting call. I don't know if any of them were fans before that. Um, a few people that worked on our crew um, were uh, were fans that reached out to us, said, you know, like, hey, I can do this or that. And, you know, they're in the area, so um, uh, it's an inter- especially in local people too. Um, uh, it, that was the be- that was one of the the better decisions we made too. Was shooting in a small town. It's just um, and a low budget. It's obviously just you know has it works out so much because small towns um don't mind the film productions there they want to help out they you know and as opposed to like anywhere like new york or la you know they don't they couldn't care less and but uh we got a lot of help from the town itself and people were very excited for us to be there and obviously you know we got so many extras and they all did an awesome job so uh that all helps and and uh so yeah no it's just uh i I don't know if we had any um on the actor side i mean like hell house fans came out i mean just uh uh, there's so many actors <laughs> we, we interviewed and auditioned, and uh, I'm just I'm happy with the with the cast we came upon, though. Oh, they were all great. That's it, it's because it's a different type of person you need for a found footage movie. I, you know, I in doing things like just you know joking around with friends that yeah. could be considered found footage style. It's way different to act real than it is to act. I think for some people. Yeah, and that, that was especially true for the first group of guys in Hell House One, those guys had to have been seemed like seemingly been friends for years, working together and, and being best buddies. Um, so their chemistry was so important. So we did a lot of auditioning with them individually, but then we started auditioning them um, in the later rounds together to see how do they interact together. And, um, and in all three films, everybody would go through um, an opening audition of which is the scripted scene. And as the later auditions would go on, uh, the later rounds, uh, you would have, uh, uh, I remember it's on one of the bonus materials on, uh, on Hell House, the DVD. And I think we're going to put this on, it's going to come to Amazon too. A lot of the bonus stuff that's been on, on DVD, we're going to put on Amazon soon. Uh, but one of them is the, uh, is, uh, Danny Bellini, the lead, lead actor, Alex from Hell House, the original, the, the, the head guy, uh, in the original Hell House is his, his final audition. He, no script. He just had to tell. Uh, us what he loved about making haunted houses and it's his passion why why did he love doing it and and he had to sell us on that that this is what he's been doing um his whole life and his drive and purely improv um not going off of anything i'm just it's just like sit down tell us why you love doing what you do and that's making haunted houses and and that 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 video of him doing that is actually in the uh is in the extras and uh and so but everyone had their variation of that throughout all the films you had this improv scene where it's not it's no script it's just tell us why you did this or tell us what your passion is about this and uh it's like russell wynn tell us what you love about in zombie why why you're a millionaire why why do you care about this play and stuff like that so tell tell us your passion for that and and that's you and for all our actors all the scripted scenes that they audition for they have, they have to get past that that improv scene because it's very important 
Yeah, I was you 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 led me right into the question I was going to ask next, which is what what in the movies, if anything, is improv outside of that walk in scene at the beginning where you kind of let them get used to the yeah get used to the set in real time, right? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, like, so that I mean, the, the the lines they're saying are mostly scripted there, but they're but where they go, what they do. Uh, they have they have free range, uh, especially in one to do or say anything off script that they want. If anything came up, um, that they so it's like a lot of this. Every scene you go into it, and they go into it saying the script, and then as we do more takes, I, I let them explore more. Just you know, if you notice something in that in that dark dark room you're in, if you want to bring it up, bring it up. Don't you like don't feel like you have to stay on the script. If you bring it up, and we, and we don't and if I don't I mean, I'm sitting there in the editing room and I think that was a stupid thing to bring up I just won't I'll cut it I don't you know but just bring it up it, that might lead to some awesome improv moment you never know yeah um so I'm just, I always say don't ever hesitate and I always tell them never stop They're, we're never going to stop rolling camera if you flub a line you you just you know you messed up your speed just keep going uh you, we're never going to stop the camera for that um and so you you wind up with uh, every scene has a different variation it's either you know 70 30 script to improv sometimes sometimes even 50 50 script to improv for each scene and sometimes it's 90 10 it does it like it's could could uh could vary but then there's some scenes that are pure improv because um i gave the actors one uh one half day we gave them uh, like three or four hours one day it just gave them a camera and, and we said go shoot and just be in character, be yourselves, and walk around the hotel, walk around town, just shooting yourselves, you know, screwing around as, you know, Alex, Paul, and, and uh, Tony, and, and Sarah, and Mac, and, um, and, and so I, I unfortunately had to go through all that footage, <laughs> and, uh, and there's a lot of stupid stuff on there, a lot of funny stuff, but not worth for the film, but, but it actually did cut about, I think I put about two minutes of it into the film itself, um, and it's, uh, and it's this, this transitional period from the first act to the second act of like them screwing around, like, uh, the one part with like the, the guy who does his eyeball trick in the first yep. film, um, to them shooting their own commercial in that field. Like we have to, with the Americans, like, well, you know, you're shooting our hell house commercial. And, um, uh, it, it, it was a perfect transitional, uh, segue, um, moments that I put in between act one and two. Um, and just a like a probably about two minute montage of those guys like screwing around as them. And I think that sold the. I think that helped build their characters a little bit more, their friendships a little bit more, just to seeing them screw around. Um, so I did put a like of the ten hours they shot. Um, you know, I, I put uh, I did put like two minutes of that into the film. It's a pure improv, them being them and being really funny and doing really great stuff and trying to you know narrow that down to a small little segment to fit into the film. It was fun. That's really cool. Um, did uh, did you did any anybody in the movies, whether it's like an extra or someone in the background, did you insert any of the people that uh, that work on the actual haunted house in real life? Oh yeah, did yeah. any of them want anything to do with it? Yeah, yeah. No, we had a lot of people that worked on. It. So um, Angie uh, Moyer is the woman who owns the haunt herself. Uh, she worked as our production designer, and she was in the film. Um, uh, she had a small role. There's a lot of other people that work for her um, uh, in, within the haunted house. They either being uh, PAs for us, or you know, they played small roles, um, things like that. In the beginning, in the beginning of Hell House One, there's the the group that goes through the haunted house themselves. 
um, who, you know, the, all the chaos is going on, the person filming it. Uh, I'm actually the person filming in that scene and that YouTube video where they go through and, and uh, they run out. Uh, when something crazy is going on in the basement, I'm filming, but the girl that I'm with is in front of me. She works at the haunted house. She's not an actress. Um, and so, but she, she, you know, she, she played the part really well. Um, but, uh, so yeah, we had a lot of help from the people who actually worked, um, at, uh, at the haunted house on either, um, in front of the camera, uh, in smaller roles or, um, you know, on crew. Right. That, that's awesome. Um, what, I, I know you touched on this a little bit at the, at the beginning, but what, um, what was your like inspiration for this? Like what, what were some of the movies or, or experiences? I imagine you're a haunted house fan. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a haunted house. Well, I mean, I love the idea of a haunted house. I actually, I don't believe in ghosts. I believe in aliens. I don't believe in ghosts. But um, uh, I, but I love the idea. Of, I, I love being scared. I love horror movies. And everyone, you know, if you're a horror movie fan, you know that feeling. You love getting that. It's like a, it's a rush of adrenaline being scared. It's so much fun. Uh, so that's, um, I've never really done horror movies until Hell House. Uh, but I knew uh, I wanted to make one uh, for my first feature. I just, I said like, Let's, let's do a horror film. I think that's going to be the best road to go. But yeah, as I said, I love mysteries. I love Dateline mysteries. I love documentaries and I love the paranormal. So I just kind of blended them all together. And uh, my other love is uh, blended that with my love of abandoned buildings, abandoned houses. I love abandoned places of any kind. Uh, you know, seeing pictures of some place that's been abandoned for years and you want it. It's like a mystery itself. Like what, what happened here? Why, why is this abandoned? Well, it's this, what story is locked inside that, that place. And, um, and I always said, I said on a grander level, um, I'm a huge Titanic nerd. And I always used to say like James Cameron did that with Titanic is, is uh, you know, you, you, there's this shipwreck at the bottom of the sea that has a story and you, in the early parts, they explore the abandoned shipwreck, this mystery wreck at the bottom and they flash back, they tell the story. And I'm like, we're doing this on a much, much smaller basis, a very micro basis of that. But it's, it's that same thing. It's like, we're going to an abandoned building where you know, that's happened and we're just that's telling a, the story. That's a great analogy, actually. And I never even thought of that. And I, it, it always, it always, um, you touch on something. There's a very, it's a comforting creepiness, but there's a creepy thing that Cameron does when they pan into the, the actual shipwreck and, and, and blend it into back in time with the reality, yeah. right? Of like that reminder that everybody you're about to see ended up a corpse. Right. And it's, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, and this, and this ship I mean, is we, a corpse. We know where this is going. We know how, you know, we know how it ends. We know the ship is at the bottom. And, and, and but just, it's just, like that. Whenever, whenever I watch footage of the, of the Titanic uh, wreck, it's spooky. It's, you're seeing this, it's just at the bottom of the ocean. And, and you're seeing these dark pictures, images. And, and I just love what they, what they did with that is how they told us you're going down, you start with the wreck. And then you go back and tell the story of how it got there. And, um, I, you know, I was always so I, I, I can nerd out about Titanic forever because I was I ever since I was a kid in the 80s when they first discovered the wreck. I've been into the nerd. I love, I love the Titanic. But um, I, you know, I, what I always wanted to do was like and I, but I, then I just brought that into my fascination with abandoned things, either it be ships or buildings or houses. There's a story there, you, you know, and, uh, and if you can come up with like a fun story about why this place is abandoned, what, why it is the way it is today, uh, and trace backwards to why, why it got there. Uh, there's, there's some fun stories to explore there, fictional, not fiction or anything like that. But, but for me, I, I took, I love taking it into like the paranormal way. Something happened 
and it, it was uh, creepy. It was, uh, it was paranormal in in, uh, in nature, and that led us to how we're about we're upon this abandoned spot, this abandoned building structure today. Wow. Now, kind of a tangent off of that, have you ever shown the film at at the hotel at the haunt? No, we did. We did. And we wanted to for each subsequent film. We've always wanted to. Um, for two and three, we always had this um, idea to shoot, you know, to shoot an outdoor uh, screening, uh, you know, in October, and you know, by the cornfields. It's going to be awesome. It's just logistically, it's never worked out because we're always just, uh, you know, we're, we're especially with two and three, we're under like deadlines to get it uh, ready and packaged and out the door uh, to to the distributors and everything like that. So like, uh, and and then. Uh, it, for, for whatever reasons, this never worked out. But I always, I, every time we, we always talk about doing that, and it just never ever pans out, though. But uh, well, I just, it, yeah, I think of it because um, have, have you ever heard of a film called Session Nine? Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely heard of it. I, I definitely didn't see it, but I know of it. You, should, you, I think you'd love it. Number one, just everything you've said just now. But Session Nine is um, it's a film that took place at Danvers State Mental Hospital, which is uh, local to me. I, I grew up in Lynn. Danvers is a couple towns over. Danvers is actually one of the towns that used to be Salem when Salem was bigger. And um, Salem, Mass, you know, the witch trial place. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, yeah. and Danvers State Mental Hospital is actually what um, H.P. Lovecraft based Arkham on in his, in his novels. Um, it's a creepy old place that they did terrible, terrible things to people at, and it closed down in the early 90s and it's been an abandoned place that every teenager i knew growing up broke into at one point or the other and got creepy old footage um because all the like underground tunnels and everything were still open and all that stuff um they ended up renovating it into apartments and during the renovation they filmed a movie um brad anderson who's the guy who made um the machinist is what he's probably most well known for the christian bale lost a bunch of weight movie yeah, yeah, I don't know. If, um, he made this local guy. He made Session Nine, and what he made is it's a movie about the crew working on a quick um, renovation job. Like they're like the best local um, asbestos removers in town, or something. And yeah. weird stuff starts happening to them. And what I love about it's not a found footage movie, although it easily could have been. But yeah, you know, I'm looking at the, the picture now on IMDb. It's it looks so cool, but it does have a feel of found footage to it. It, it could be, yeah. Yeah. And and so there's a lot of scenes of, you know, just people being there that you didn't expect to be there. But a lot a very similar to the way you did Hell House, they kind of just let the atmosphere be the scary thing. Right. You know, let yep. the place kind of do the talking, let the paint peeling on the walls and lights flickering in the <laughs> background and all that. So my friends ended up moving into the apartments that they put there. So we watched it there in the old <laughs> Kirkbride building. That's awesome. Oh man. <laughs> and right and one of the nights we were hanging out there, I walked down. They they had renovated the downstairs of the big creepy brick building to be like a basketball court with bathrooms. Yeah. And they had those motion detector lights that turn on when you walk by them. Mm -hmm. So I walk by, they all turn off. I go to the bathroom, I come out, and then walking towards me, all the lights turn on on their own. And I was like, yeah, I'm done here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, it, 
it just it made me your movie made me think of that movie and made me think of you know that's like the closest watch it there no i know and it's it's something we've always been trying to do but just never been able to but i I get what you mean yeah and that would it would be a great experience to to be watching it in the spot where where it's supposed to be happening but um yeah you know and i am currently i'm I'm looking for um i'm on the search for another abandoned uh house for a uh, another film and uh, so we're on the hunt for that i love abandoned um I was I love abandoned houses and buildings. So um, and my next uh, script, original Hell House, has um, a scene which that is in an abandoned house. It's not a uh, it's not it's not the, uh, the, the it's not like the movie's not filmed in the abandoned house itself. It has a scene there, and so like I'm on the hunt, like online, looking for like the perfect abandoned spot. Like all these houses are great, but I'm like I don't think I can have access to that, and I'm just like exploring more abandoned photography right now, and I, I love it. So you obviously you know things in the works i don't need you to to blow anything about that but is is it a film is it like a narrative film or another found footage type thing you're working on oh yeah so um we're working on two things right now we are developing a um uh hell house series Um, oh i didn't i i think you just said that and it didn't it didn't uh click no no, amazing i was talking about something different yeah but yeah um so we're, we're developing that and that's um and that's kind of like a lot of the backstory of the hotel um, filling in a lot of the pieces uh, behind uh, Hell House, uh, exploring a lot of those stories that I always wanted to, and uh, we're trying. To, we're just in the early the, uh, parts of that, just developing that whole storyline and seeing where, where we're going to go with it. Uh, but uh, yeah, and I'm filming another uh, movie um, called A Two Five Forest Road in May, and uh, one of the locations is a, is an abandoned house that I'm currently uh, looking for, but. Uh, so yeah, and that would be a completely that would be my first completely original feature away from Hell House and not a found footage film. Uh, so that's uh, uh, you know it's fun um, to do something different because uh, I've been working on the Hell House film since we you know we, we filmed those in 2014. I've been writing the script since 2012, and um, so it's it's just, it's fun to step away for and work on something different uh, for the first time since then. So. That's really cool. So, so back, I, I can't wait to see the new stuff. A, a Hell House series that so obviously it's early on, but I mean, I imagine that there'll have to be some if if you do like backstory type stuff, there'll have to be some set recreation for, for and stuff like that. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, all things we're working on now, and uh, you know, one of them being, you know, well, how are we going to shoot this? <laughs> so, right. Are you going to do it found footage or not? Yeah. That's. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the plan would be to not do it found footage, um, but um, right now we're just kind of we're developing the stories and the and the uh, and all that right now, so we haven't gotten to the next part. Um, so that that that's uh, probably going to be a little ways off because everything now is just. Uh, I, it's just early script uh, development, story stuff right now. Nothing, nothing set in stone. That's ex- that's exciting though. I mean, I obviously it. they've done well. I'd love to be able to do it, and yeah, it's just yeah. Can we do it? Uh, what kind of uh, you know? Can we get the budget for it? And and that's you know that's uh, you know all that logistical stuff will will be coming down the pipe later. We'll figure that out. But yeah, right now it's just we're early in just planning, planning it and uh, developing stories and stuff, but and then we'll get to the next part um, soon. And, you know, uh, we, we usually announce everything Hell House related to like what's coming up with Hell House. Um, uh, if there's any new news uh, on our, uh, on the Hell House Facebook page is where yep. uh, everything, uh, every, 
you know, um, I, I always put some stuff out on my Twitter feed as well. But uh, Hell House is definitely, uh, the Facebook page is definitely where to keep up to date on all that. So, again, I, I don't want to keep you for super, super long, but I the one other question I don't think we touched on too much is, so you, you had this script, you ended up making this movie, like how the very first Hell House, how did that, like, was it a, a local independent thing and then you ended up pitching it and getting distributors to pick you up or did you have, like, a company backing it? Like, how did, like, from script to it being on shutter so all of us saw yeah. it kind of happen um, yeah no I, that's it's uh, good to talk about that because i'm sure you probably have a lot of filmmakers that listen to it so um listen to your podcast so it's pro um good to touch on that a little bit and uh, i did this um completely um independently uh, no distribution plan in place no nothing in place they're really not really knowing much of what i was going to do with the film afterwards it was kind of make it and then you know see what happens after that. And so uh, I found it was a lot easier to go to family and ask for money if I was asking for a very little bit of money. And um, and just kind of like, you could spread it out amongst a lot of family members or friends. And and if you keep the cost low, obviously I can't, I'm just, nobody, I'm gonna, I don't anybody in my realm that I'm gonna be like, hey, can I have $50,000? Like, you know? Yes. But if I say like, hey, can I have 500? You know, maybe like, yeah, and then you ask enough people for 500, you start getting your budget together. And and then, um, but uh, so we, we once we got to our target uh, budget where we knew we can hire the crew we needed and 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 you know shoot and put everyone and the biggest thing was putting people up in hotels because while it is two hours away from new york still remote uh, rural location um that was the biggest budget year is, is hotels and everything like that that was tough but um because uh, they're not cheap I and mean, you put people up for 11 12 days it's uh that, that adds up quick but um uh so we shot the film edited it i screened it to a private audience, and uh, and and that's the first time I knew that we might have something here is when I screened it to a private audience. And because when I was editing the film, I was going over these scares, and I, you know, you, you, when you when you shoot it, you wrote the scenes, you shot the scenes, and you've been through every frame of film a million times. Nothing scary to me. So I'm watching this, and I remember asking my wife, I'm like, "Is this even scary?" She's like, "No, no, it's scary. Trust me, it's scary." I'm like, "I don't, I don't know. I don't think it is. It's because I was so desensitized." And then I showed it to a private screening. Obviously, I knew a lot of people that screened, but there's people that didn't know me and I didn't know them. And I was just watching their reaction to the scenes. Um, and, and, I, and I saw that they were having this this scared, this scared reaction where they were really terrified. And I'm like, oh, you know, I think maybe we have something here. Maybe this this is scary. Maybe this is going to work out. And then I then I put it into a couple festivals and it, and it got picked up. And, and Telluride Horror Fest is such a fun Fun, fun festival. They had such a great time there. We screened there. It was uh, the place was packed. Everyone came. It was a great audience reaction. Um, but still, I mean, these aren't festivals where you're going to get your movie sold or get a deal or anything like that. Um, uh, so it's really tough on the indie film level to. Um, to you know, I don't. I don't think anybody should go into the, into it expecting that you're going to get bought. That's like the ultimate dream. Uh, it's right. not, it, it has it has it didn't happen to me with Hell House. Um, but um, so what we needed to do was just make sure uh, we got eyes on it and, and then hope that uh, I thought people see it, they'll like it, and it will spread word of mouth. So we, um, I did show it to a few distributors and one of them was Terra Films who loved it. And they said, like, great, like, we'd love to partner up with you and, and get this film out on the platforms. And, you know, getting someone else to take care of all that, um, 
all that uh, technical stuff of getting the movie onto Vudu, iTunes, Amazon, all this stuff is something that's great. Uh, you'll have to give away, if, you, if the film ever makes anything, you have to give some of that away, obviously. But it's worth it, I think, for me. Because um, it's, it's just incredibly stressful and time-consuming to try to do all, take all that on your own. I think it's better and it, it, better for your film if you uh, have a, if you get attached to a good distributor. Obviously, there's a lot of them that aren't good, but Terra Films is a good one. Um, but uh, they take care of a lot of the technical stuff like that, and, and, and the marketing, and, and, the, and the, the social media stuff. And um, so, you know, I, I don't have to like uh, make sure that I'm continually posting myself and everything like that. There's there's a, there's a team of people doing that, so that helped us out. And then from there, you know, we knew like we you know we weren't bought, and there's not, nothing there. But we knew if I was only going to be able to pay <laughs> my investors back if um, if enough people you know saw it and recommended it and, and and uh, you know, word of mouth spread, and 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 it did, and like it, it caught on a little bit, and that was just really great to see that it was catching on. People were talking about it. People started uh, tweeting at me and asking me questions about the film, and I was like, oh, that means like people are watching and enjoying it. This is really great, uh, and it and it kind of snowballed from there. Um, but uh, and then and then um, it, then Shutter got involved with Hell House two and then three, um, but on the original Hell House, it was. Um, it was just like putting it out there on the platforms and just hoping, you know, it's spread by word of mouth. Oh, your mic is off again. Are you back? Can you hear me again? Yeah, yeah, now I can hear you. I don't know what keeps happening there. <laughs> I think my, I think it just times out on me. Um, it was, uh, it was one of the main. If it timed out on you, that means that I talked way too much. So sorry. No, no, no. It means it's good content. You can me. People can hear me anytime they want. <laughs> um, no, what I was going to say is, you know, it, it became one of my main reasons for for getting and keeping my my Shutter subscription because. It, they did like a free trial of it and I, yeah. I got it to watch um to watch the creep show TV show. Yeah, I know. That, yeah. Um, I was excited for that too. I'm so happy that they And did. so I started watching that and it was about to go away. And I, you know, I, I ended up watching 31 horror movies in October and I didn't and I didn't watch one movie a day. So some days I and I think one of the days was the night that I binged two and three of Hell House. Gotcha. Um, because I had, because because I, I I kept scrolling by the first one and going, I've heard of this. This sounds great, and I re up my subscription because my buddy Tim said, "No, you have to watch Hell House. This is, we this is a guy I've made some local low budget films with, and he's like, you've got to yeah. see this thing. Like it's it's just gonna grab you. And um, I don't even think I think maybe the second one had come out, and the third one came out very recently, didn't it? Yeah, third one um, came out uh, in uh, late late September of last year. So just the like third one was brand new, was it? Yeah, and the one and two came out the fall before that. So yeah, when we got into two and three, they came out pretty quick, uh, quicker, and, um, and they were uh, exclusive to Shutter uh, for a little while before they went other other places. So and that was great for me. You know, for I I love Shutter since they came out because I just love. Uh, horror films and, and the fact that there is you know just a, a good um, uh, platform of is this horror specific uh, they've always been a fan so it was really great just um, to partner up with Shudder uh, just because I, I, I love everything they're doing and it's just so that was like a, a dream come true for me.
Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, obviously I've, I've kept you for a bit and this is, this has been awesome. And I'd like to say, obviously, if you ever have anything new, you want to talk about pitch. Um, I get a pretty decent, um, fan base here and I've loved having you on. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Um, is there anybody, uh, anything you want to leave the people with something you want to promote pitch, send them towards or whatever you'd like, just, uh, lay it on me. Uh, um, no, I, I I always wish I had had like a project coming out, but it's, it's, you know, as you know, in the, in the film world, it's so long to develop and get projects off the ground. And, um, so I don't have anything on the horizon right now with this projects that we're working on that I told you about, but, um, right now it's just, uh, um, you know, checking out the hell house page, liking the hell house page on Facebook is great. Um, uh, and then we, you know, we we'll, we'll always be updating about like what we're doing. If we're doing any uh, releasing, any, uh, I, you know, I've released, um, uh, I put some uh, deleted content on there as well. Um, and any news that's coming up about anything we're doing, Hell House wise, will be on there. And uh, so that's just a, that's a great uh, place to go if anybody out there is listening is a, is a fan of Hell House. Um, the Facebook page is a great place to go. And me, I can be found at uh, on Twitter um, s a j c o five. It's a random twitter this is my initials oh five um twitter and <laughs> i don't know why um and it was oh four taken i don't know why i did oh five but um uh that's where you can find me on twitter and uh yeah that, that's that's it dude this has been an absolute honor and a blast um, oh, i'll talk awesome. i'll talk horror with anyone it's um, such a great talk i enjoyed being here of course so you, you've been listening and again i i heard you pronounce your last name but it's steven cognetti is yeah that it? yep all right You've been listening to Stephen Cognetti on Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Thank you, Stephen, for Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Stephen is the director of Hell House LLC, Hell House LLC 2, um, the Abaddon Hotel, and Hell House LLC Lake of Fire. That's the third one. They all can be found on Shutter and basically everywhere now, right? Yeah. 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 Um, they're fantastic. Um, the first one will drag you right in, um, and you've heard uh, Stephen talk about it. Thank you for Shooting the Shit with Chippa, and I'll talk to you all soon. Bye, guys. And at what point do people know that they're on a doomed, you know, uh, journey uh, while they're making this film? Like, where it's it's getting away from them, and they're like, "Oh boy, this this is a this is this is going to be a train wreck." Uh, I wonder at what point on Cats they realized that was it just the decision to make Cats into a movie? That might have been it. I think, yeah, I think that that has to be from from the from the get go. There, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, from what I hear, they had a lot of. Uh, talented people on cats. Uh, they know. did, and uh, so it's just I guess maybe the the pitch was so good, you know, and you get the you get the the talent behind it. It's it seems great on paper because you know it was such a major you know Broadway success. But then when you start rolling film, then that's when you realize that ooh, this doesn't translate. <laughs> well, it it just it amazes me that you'd hire so much talent and then hide it behind visual effects because it's you know it yeah it's right it's a really hard thing to do right like you you need to have like james cameron money right to get your motion capture just so perfect right that because you hire a dancer to dance 
I mean, that's why that's why the cat cat's musical is people in costumes, mm-hmm. so they can actually still perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's very strange to me. And then it gets even weirder when you know at the Oscars they have people make fun of it. You know, it's like the only person that's going to hurt is the animator, not the not the people that made the movie. Let's all laugh. I just got a tweet today from an animator on the film, you know, saying how disappointed they were that like the, the, the Oscars were making fun of them. And like, he uh, was an animator on the film that like, got like had to work like 80 hour weeks and eventually got laid off. And, and, yeah. and then the Oscars just like mock them. It's like when they put in like all this work and, you know, and, and with little payoff and uh, crazy hours and, uh, you know, you just see there's a whole other side of, of, of the industry. A lot of people just don't know about him. Um, and from from what I, I've never had a film, uh, never done a film that had any kind of heavy effects or anything like that. But that is, um, you know, it, it, it is an industry of you know, people like artists working at crazy hours when you're on the on the on the, on the heavier budget side. So it's, it's a whole other world of the film industry that people know a little about. Well, this is, I'm going to have to find a way to take some snippets of this and put it in at the end, because that was actually fascinating conversation before we even started. But as you can probably, as you can probably tell, this is the way I run my show. Um, Sturvern, there is a huge tail wearing the mask, and it's fun to die in it. You ever seen in our feet, and the shield is jarring. He's slow, let's slow, I've ever covered it. He then got in the beats to be with me, and I'll go to the wish in the wish. Yeah, I'm putting that in before you don't serve her when that little shield said, yeah, we'll all do them with it. I've missed the mission, the mission from the mission, because it's a silly air.